Welcome to the Riverwood Chapel podcast. We're so excited you're here. Please check out our other content and video uploads at riverwoodchapel.org. Thank you. Well, good morning, Riverwood. I'm glad you are here as we uh, examine God's Word. We're going to start off with four questions. These are really questions for your heart. I want to know, how does your heart react when you hear these four questions? All right, question number one. How does your heart react when good things happen to good people? Now, let's not go deep theology on the words. I understand we're all broken, messy people. But when you generally see good things happening to good people, how does your heart react to that? Hopefully, there's joy. I was recently at a wedding. Good people, great moment, lots of celebration. Yes, this is good. When you're driving by on a hot summer day and you see people eating ice cream and it's, everyone's smiling, good things are happening to good people and it brings joy to our hearts. All right, that's question number one. Question number two, how does your heart react when bad things happen to bad people? Like, you're on Route 8, and there is somebody who is just zipping by you, cutting people off, going at high rates of speed. You're like, hey, that sounds like me. (laughs) And you're going down the highway, and three miles down the road, they're pulled over with a police officer, right? Yes! (laughs) Justice is happening. They're getting what they deserve. These bad people doing bad thing. All right, there's a little bit of, we'll say, joy when we see that happening. Question three is is maybe a little more difficult. What does your heart feel? How does it react when good things happen to bad people? Like those people who are climbing corporate ladders and cutting people off and and being so evil, yet they're the ones that are being exalted and making all of the money. And how do you comprehend all of that when good things are happening to those people? There's injustice, and there's something inside of us that doesn't like that. It frustrates us. Our hearts are frustrated and maybe we start asking bigger questions like, how could this happen? Who? There's a dangerous question. Who would let this happen? But I think question number four might be the most dangerous question of them all. How does your heart really feel? How does your heart really react when bad things happen good people. I don't know about you, but my heart hurts. It hurts. And especially when you bring that kind of question into the realm of a place like a church that's filled with good people. I've been here long enough. I can see pain in lots of different sections of this church. I, can, I know your stories, and I know, and it, it is hurtful, and I bet it hurts you too. When bad things happen to good people, it just drives us into deeper questions, like, how could this happen? Who's in charge? 
And if your heart hurts in that kind of way, you've come to the right place this morning. Because God wants to speak something from his word into your life that's going to come straight out of Psalm 119. If you've walked into this room with a hurting heart, and these kinds of questions don't sit well with you, God wants to speak something to your life. Maybe not every answer is going to be given, and you're going to have perfect kind of clarity, but he wants to speak at the level of your heart from his word this morning. That's why we've gathered, and that's why I'm glad you're here. I realize that in a room like this, there are some who may have never been in a church before. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. I realize there are some here who haven't been to church in 20 years. Welcome back. And I realize there are some who have been gone all summer, and I want you to know the heart of this pastor, the heart of this church, is to say something like this. It's never too late. It's never too late to hear from what God is saying, what he is speaking from his word. I am so grateful um, that you have, you're, you're here this morning. This is not a coincidence of why you are here and how God might be speaking to you. Those in the back row, those in the front row, in between. Have ears to hear what the Lord might be speaking to you today. Well, if you've been with us over the summer, we've been walking through just one chapter in God's Word. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. Chapter 119 of the book of Psalm. It is our, I call this the penultimate Sunday, if you like that word. We get to use it every so often. It's the second to last Sunday of this series. And we've been walking strophe by strophe, sometimes two strophes. The makeup of this series has been walking through poetically through the alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet, and walking through all of these um, Sundays, letter by letter. Today we get to uh, the letter S in Hebrew. It's it's interesting letter. It, sometimes it sounds like S and sometimes like SH. And there's little indicators of that. And that's why it's called the Sin and Sheen strophe. We get all of the Hebrew words that come from these letters. And there's a very famous Hebrew word. That would be the word shalom. You're going to even see that uh, in what we're going to look at this morning. All right, so let's start just by examining God's Word. If you have your Bible, we're going to start in verse 161. <laughs> it's a big number. Um, 161. If you have God's Word, if not, it's going to be right here on the screen. You can follow along. Uh, but this is God's Word. This is what He wants to speak to us today. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. Keep, my soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies for all my ways are before you. All right, so the setting of this 
psalm is the author that is most likely being transplanted away from home to a foreign land under the superpower of Babylon. He's making this trek 500 miles away from what he knows to be true, to be his home. And so as I've been studying this strophe this week, I get to verse 161, and it is like a speed bump. I, I like, have been spending lots of time thinking and praying and trying to figure out what is going on in this one verse alone as it is the beginning of this strophe. And the speed bump is really in line one, that princes persecute me without cause. There it is. There's the, the troubling fourth question. What do you do when bad things are happening to good people? And he says it right there. Princes persecute me without cause. Like if you're trying to draw a dotted line like I deserved it or I had it coming, that's not what's going on here. Okay, line one, or we're trying to wrap our minds around that. And then he says something even more remarkable. But my heart stands in awe of your words. Wait a second. How is that even possible? I say that because many times when something like this is happening, when bad things are happening to good people, many, many times people take a step away from God. I've seen it happen in my own extended family. Tragic things happen, and people say things like, why would I ever follow after a God who let that happen? And that might be exactly what you're thinking through. So that's why what he says is very remarkable. That something bad is happening to a good person, but my heart, I'm actually standing in awe of your words. I'm, a, I'm actually going towards the Lord in the midst of question number four. And so that really begs the question uh, that we're going to unearth. Like, how is this possible? This is really what God's Word wants to answer for us this morning. How does the author have a heart that embraces God when bad things happen to good people? This is what your heart is struggling with. Ugh. How is that even possible? All right, so from one, verse 161 at the very beginning— now let's put that on, kind of off to the side. And now we're going to go into one of the most, uh, probably classic books of the Bible that talks about suffering. Now why are we doing this? We're doing this because when he talks about, uh, he stands in awe of his words, his precepts, his commandments, he's talking about the Word of God that he was very familiar with. And a book that he was probably very familiar with was the book of Job. And so we're going to pause here, and we're going to take a little bit of time to explore the book of Job. What's the story, if you're not familiar? He was a contemporary of the patriarchs. I mean, think about the people who lived in the book of Genesis. That's when Job lived, in that kind of era. And he was familiar with pain and suffering. It, it begins this way in, in the book of Job. 
There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and turned away from evil. Okay, the story begins. He's a good man. But then on the heels of this, if you know the story, it's very tragic. His family is then taken from him. His wealth is taken from him. His own health is taken away. And so the rest of the book of of Job is, is trying to gain human understanding to what's going on. It's a very long book. And in the midst of that, is really the friends who come along to give the answer. Why did this happen? How could this have happened? And Job has friends at times are giving good advice, but much of the time they're on the wrong path. They're saying things like this uh, to his friends are saying this. They say, remember who that was innocent ever perished, Job. Or, where were the upright cut off, Job? As I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. You see, Job's friends want to come alongside and say, let's not overcomplicate this, Job. (laughs) Bad things happen to bad people. Something bad happened to you, you're a bad person. All right, let's move on. And Job is troubled by that. Is, that. is that really the answer? God, just is it that simplistic? Good happens to good and bad happens to bad. And the reality is that that's not what is true. And so, as frustrating as it is, these friends, Job is also frustrated, thinking, well, maybe pain and suffering is just random, spinning out of control, and just kind of like every fifth person is going to have this happen, and who knows, and is it just random? Well, then you get further into the book, and there's another friend. He speaks a little bit differently than Job's friends. His name is Elihu, and he has something for Job to understand in the midst of this, to kind of set some things straight. He, he'll say something like this. Uh, you say, I am pure, Job. Um, or maybe your friends are saying that. Good things only happen to good people. He says, I am pure without transgression. I am clean. There is no iniquity in me. Iniquity in me. Behold, he finds occasions against me. He counts me as his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks and and watches all my paths. Behold, in this you are not right. I will answer you, for God is greater than man. And so he's whispering to Job, saying, maybe you think you're, like, blameless and nothing ever bad happens. Uh, Just so you know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. (laughs) That's what Elihu is saying. We're all broken people. Bad things happen But is it just random? You get further into the book, and Elihu will then introduce a new thread of thinking. He will say this. This is very significant in chapter 36. He says, Well, he delivers the afflicted by their affliction and opens their ear by adversity. Is it possible, Job, That God is using this pain 
to draw you closer to him. He's using adversity. He's using bad things happening to good people to draw people closer to him. This is an amazing kind of turn of events that then comes on the heels at the very end of the book of Job, which you're probably familiar with, when God ends up with Job and he has a few questions for him. Hey, Job, I have some things I need to ask you. Um, where were you when the foundations of the world were being established? Do you know where light comes from? Where light is housed? Do you know where it dwells? Do you know what happens in the deep oceans? Can you hook a, a Leviathan by the fish hook? No, 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 no. Which then leads Job at the very end to say something like this. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. There's the, the answer. Why do bad things happen to good people? Trust me. Walk with me. Don't run from me. I understand pain. I understand the things that you struggle with. Draw near to me. And that is what is remarkable about Job, is that he draws closer to God. He doesn't walk down the path of walking away, but he walks closer to him. The one path away is filled with frustration. He can't make sense of it, and oh, it leaves you empty. But notice the other path that draws you in a fearful way, an awestruck way of walking with the one who is in control, whose understanding is way above ours. Now, it is this background that I truly believe the psalmist has the word of God has spoken to him. And that is why I believe he gets to 161, back to Psalm 119, and says this, Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. When the world is running the opposite direction in pain, he says it's possible to stand in awe. That's what Job did. He stood in awe, in fear, in reverence of God. He, he couldn't make sense of it all, and even his own pain. Yet, he's willing to take a step towards him. That is the significant truth of what's going on in 161. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. The word is, is woven into his life. His heart stands in awe at the, the precepts, the commandments, the rules, the laws. And 
he's been saying this all summer long, that when you saturate your life with his word, it will draw you closer to him. That's the mega theme of Psalm 119. Know the word and know God. His word is great because our God is great. Interact your life to hear the gospel, the good news of what he is saying. And without the word in our lives, we will always be on a path of frustration. If we don't ever spend time knowing the word and knowing who God is, we will always wander down these paths where our heart will always be frustrated, trying to navigate and make sense There is a path of humility, of drawing close, knowing that our God does not forsake us, knowing that our God is well acquainted with grief, and we trust. We turn to him and we trust him. And he, in turn, extends a relationship to those who trust him. He even extends his son, Jesus Christ, as a gift. Enter into a relationship with me and my son, and we will walk with you. And so, as we get to this point right here, we just, we just pause to say, have you entered down this kind of path with God? Even in a world where bad things happen to good people. I get it. Have you turned down to the path of trusting him. Maybe not. Maybe there's still some who are like, yeah, but I have walked through. You're not alone, by the way. The lost, those who've lost children, they, they sit amongst you. Those who have lost spouses, they, they, they sit amongst you. Those who have diagnoses of cancer, they're sitting here. They're right here amongst you. Horrible things happening to good people who are turning their lives to God. It's possible. But what I love also about this specific strophe is that it then goes on to describe and celebrate what this relationship looks like. I call these the, the indicators of the heart the rest of what we're going to look at. When you turn down this path of trusting and, and walking with a God, even when bad things are happening to good people, there are some indicators that you're heading down the right road. The first one is in verses 162, 163, 164. And as I read these verses, and as we look at these three indicators, be whispering to yourself, do I have this in my path? Does my heart resonate with these things? If it doesn't, maybe you're on a wrong path this morning. So allow that to be a warning. But the first one is in these three verses. He says, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you, for your righteous rules. What I see in these three verses is what I call gospel passion. 
There's passion here for the gospel, for the good news, the good news of what God has said in his word. Old Testament, New Testament, there is passion. Do you know what passion looks like? I'll describe it to you. I could use two letters to describe some passion. It's going to get some people ready. You ready? Scarlet and gray. Is there passion there? Maize and blue, is there passion there? Yeah, there's groaning. All that to say there's, there's passion. We know what it's like. Do we have that same kind of passion when it comes to God and his word? Something deep inside where we say, I rejoice. There is a joy in his word. 163 it talks about the paradox. We've talked about this before, where we live this truth and love. We hate the things of falsehood, and we love his word, and we live in that paradox, that passion. In 164, I love it. He's trying to think of another S word, S word, S word. Ah, yes, the word seven. <laughs> seven. Seven times a day, I praise you. And it's not like he's got a checklist like one, two, wait, where's number three at? No, it's this idea of completely, completely, I praise you all day long. Passion. Do you have it? Do you have a gospel passion? If you do, you're on, you're probably head down the right path. If you don't, if it's like, oh, God stuff, may that be an indicator. Maybe there's something missing. All right, so number one is this gospel passion. Um, here's number two. Maybe this is another indicator that will speak to you. 165, 166. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. For all those who are wondering, where's the word shalom? There it is. Great peace, shalom. It speaks of this idea of of, of peace at deep levels of the heart. Not just like, hey, let's be peaceful today. No, no, no. Shalom is a, a looking out in society, looking out in your own life, and yearning for a peace. A peace that passes all understanding. Great peace have those who love your law. Even in the midst of tragic things, I'm going to take a step towards him. I hope for your salvation. I mean, that's what he's found real peace in, that he is the God of salvation. Well beyond our time here on this earth, he has a plan through his relationship with you, through his son. He's paid the price, and there is a wonderful hope, hope, hope that you can have. A peace and hope that can only be found in him. Do you have a, what I call a gospel peace? This past week, my son, um, he was in a very minor car accident. He got hit by someone pulling out of a driveway and, and all of these things of insurance claims and we're just lots of those kinds of moments this week. But in that, I was 
really reflecting, even in this minor traffic accident, I was thinking, wow, life is fragile. Very fragile. Crinkled cars and all that, but life is so fragile. Do we have a peace, even in the midst of the things that happen in life that are bad? Do you know that peace? That's another indicator. Gospel passion, gospel peace. He has one more he wants to throw our way. In 167 and 168, notice what he says. He says, my soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies for all my ways are before you. The keeping of the testimonies, the keeping of the precepts. The story is a life that isn't just about knowing the Word of God. Oh, those are good truths to know. I check in on Sundays and I hear a few things. But it is something that goes beyond this moment to say, I'm going to keep that. I'm actually going to do what he says. And this isn't a doing to earn some great favor with God. It's simply out of our relationship with him. We love him, and we will keep his precepts. I call this a, a gospel obedience. Do you have a gospel obedience that is happening in your life? Like when God's word says it, you're like, I want to embrace that. I want to follow after that. Do you have this? It's another indicator of having this kind of relationship, being down the correct path. You see, the psalmist wants to speak to our hearts this morning. And he wants us to be wrestling with all of these questions, and especially as we draw close to him, not just when good things happen to good people, and not finding joy when bad things happen to bad people, but he wants us to be the kinds of people who are processing and making decisions and living life in a world that is filled with bad things happening to good people. May God direct our hearts. May he shepherd our hearts as we love his word as we love his word, we will know him in greater ways and take steps towards him. And we'll live in a, a gospel passion and in a gospel peace and out of obedience. This is his word um, for all of us this morning. What, where are you at? What is he speaking to you? Maybe you're the person this morning who is like, you know what, but... I'm walking through something so hard, there is no possible way I will ever take a step towards God. Maybe he's speaking to your heart today. Again, he is well acquainted with grief. He understands. He comes near those who are brokenhearted. And maybe that's what he's calling you to. Maybe he's calling you to come alongside someone and to point them into the direction of the Savior when they can't see it themselves. Because many times when we're walking through bad things happening to good people, we're confused, we don't know what, what what's going on, and maybe you're the one who's going to come alongside and say, it's okay, I, I want to walk with you in this, and 
be careful not to take that step away. Let's, let's, let's take a step towards him. Maybe he wants to use you in someone's life in that way. It's the passion of our church to walk with broken people. That's why we have a Thursday night program uh, for people who are walking in pain. That's why we have a Monday night recovery program for people who are walking in pain. When bad things are happening um, to good people, we want to take steps towards the Savior. I'm going to pray for us because we need his help in this conversation. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word to us. And we want to take those steps towards you, but I know it's hard. The pain is real. It's difficult, and, and many times we start pointing fingers at you and saying, why did you let this happen? Why am I facing this? Pain is real. Suffering is real. We also know that your word speaks to who you are, a God who comes near, who walks with us, even in the darkest shadows, even in the valleys. You're near to us. So I pray you would help us as a church do this well, to walk with broken people walk in the midst of pain. And I pray, Lord, that you would extend a peace um, to maybe somebody in this room here this morning. You are good to us even, it's hard to say, but you are good to us even when bad things happen to good people. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.